1 John chapter 1. Now, last week we went through the first four verses of chapter 1. This week we're going to uh, we're going to go through verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1 and down through about verse 17 of chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, or it should be up on the screen, follow along as I read 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. That big word just means the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, 
and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Father, we ask that you would, in your grace and in your mercy, open our hearts and open our minds that your good word, your gospel would have entrance, that it would change us and transform us, that it would break down any walls, any barriers, any hardness that hinders your word, your love, your light from breaking through into our hearts. Father, we ask that you would do this according to your promise and that you would change and transform us and conform us to the very image of the Son of Glory. Father, do this, that you would be glorified in your church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this little letter, 1 John, this is written by the Apostle John. So <clears throat> sometimes people get confused because there's several Johns in the Bible. There's John the Baptist. John the Baptist did not write the Gospel of John, and John the Baptist didn't write this little letter. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, and in John's Gospel, he talks about John the Baptist who came to prepare the way for Jesus, who prepared the way for the light. John wasn't the light. Jesus was that light. And we saw this last week, that this letter follows the Gospel of John. John is not writing something different here. He's writing the same message, the same truths that we see in John's Gospel, we see in this letter. And John is echoing those truths from his Gospel, the message that came from God, the message who came through Jesus Christ, He's echoing that here in this letter. Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is not theoretical. Christianity is a belief system. It is a reality that should bring change, radical change to every person that it touches, so the gospel is the power of God to salvation, Paul writes in Romans 1.16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or to the Gentiles. So the message of the gospel didn't begin in Matthew 1.1. The message of the gospel begins with the recorded scripture in the beginning God created. That is the beginning of the gospel recorded for us. God is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. And God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit existed before the material creation. Sometimes we think the gospel begins with the birth of Jesus and it's everything in the New Testament and we don't need the Old Testament. There is nothing farther from the truth. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is what John is communicating in this letter. And John is saying that your professed Christianity 
must translate into something real. It can't just be the philosophy you say you hold to. It can't just be the things you say you believe in, but it's got to translate into something that is real, something that can be seen, something that can be observed, something that can be felt, something that makes a real tangible impact on the people and the things around you. Christianity is a religion of world domination. Now, we don't like to think about that today in our politically correct world because we want to think that Christianity is just one of many other belief systems and we just hold our belief system to ourselves and then one day we'll die and we'll go to heaven and we'll find out who was right. Eh, wrong. That is nowhere communicated in the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That is not who God is. That is not what God has told his people to do. That is not God's plan for his story or what we commonly call history. It's not his plan for creation. It's not his plan for humanity. God is the creator. He has a specific plan, a specific purpose. And it is all about his name and his glory filling the earth. And if your Christianity is not something that translates into how you live your life, how you interact with those around you and the world around you, then it is not real. It is not genuine. And this is what John is challenging these believers. Now, he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience. And we're going to see this by some of the things we we observe in his letter. And he's writing to them in the midst of pressure that's coming upon the church from all sorts of places. So for the Jews who were followers of Jesus Christ as their Messiah, those Jews were under pressure from other Jews to keep the law. And that salvation doesn't come through faith in Jesus, but it must come through the keeping of the law. You can have Jesus if you want, but you've got to also keep the law. And by the way, those Gentiles who come to faith in Christ, they too must keep the law. This was the pressure coming from the Jewish culture. There was the Roman Empire that was the world empire. It was the empire that ruled the world. And that's the way Rome said it. That's the way Rome meant it. And the God of the Roman Empire was Caesar. The cry of the Roman Empire was this, Caesar is Lord. That was the real cry. That's what men had to really profess. Caesar is Lord. And that word Lord is meant exactly the way we take it. In other words, Caesar is almighty God. Now the Romans had a pantheon of gods. They had all kinds of gods. And Caesar was one of them. And he was the God that ruled the world because Rome 
ruled the world. And you profess your allegiance not only to this empire, but to this God, Caesar is Lord. So there was pressure to the Gentile believers to go back to paganism. Did you know the term atheist today means one who does not believe in God? That's the way we understand it. Do you know that in the Roman Empire and in the inception of Christianity, the Christians were called atheists? That's what they were considered because they only believed in one God. They didn't believe in all the gods, so they were called atheistic. You know why that's flipped on its head today? Because Jesus is Lord, because the gospel is working. Because his name, his fame, and his glory is filling the earth. And it has changed even the way we think. That is proof that the gospel is working, that the word of God is true. We are tempted, though, to see things differently. You guys ever seen one of those pictures? You look at it, it's a black and white image. And you either see an old hag with a long nose and a wart on her nose, or you see a beautiful young girl. Most people see the old hag, but then when you are, when you're encouraged to look at it differently and you have to stare at it for a while perhaps, all of a sudden you don't see the old hag anymore, you see the beautiful young woman. And then it becomes difficult, you have to try to see the old hag. But at first, it you didn't have to try. That's just what you saw. That's kind of the way we look at the world. That's kind of the way the gospel is at work. If we're not careful, we'll look at the world and think nothing's happening. In fact, we'll think it's getting worse and worse and worse. But if we really look with eyes of faith and we really see what's going on here, we will see a very different picture. Well, we'll talk more about those things in another sermon series later on. But let's, let's go through these verses. So in John chapter 1, verse 5, so this is the context. Oh, there's one other thing. There was one other pressure that was coming. There was this Greek philosophy. It was this Greek mindset that the things of the flesh don't matter. The material world does not matter. In fact, the material world is evil. And we should be doing everything we can to try to escape the material world. And so what came out of that was Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Jesus wasn't raised in the flesh. If Jesus was really who he said he was and he's this God and he's this great, this great God and this great belief system, then he, he certainly wouldn't have come in the flesh and he wouldn't be about the flesh. But here is one of the tenets that is absolutely essential for you to be a biblical Christian. You must believe that Jesus not only came in the flesh, but he was raised physically, bodily in the flesh, in a glorified body. And that we as his children, we as his people, will one day rule on this earth, a real earth, in flesh and blood bodies. Yes, they will be glorified. They will not be under the curse. They will not be mortal. They will not be corrupt. They will be immortal, incorruptible, because that's who God is. But that is, we're not going to be floating around in heaven for eternity. We're going to be ruling and reigning on this earth. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. Read the book of Revelation. 
But read the book of Revelation as a revelation of Jesus Christ, not as about some antichrist or the end of the world, because that's not what the book of Revelation is about. It's about a revealing of Jesus Christ. And there is coming a day when, at the consummation of all things, the, the, the curse is gone, sin is gone, death is no more, and we will live on a new earth and new bodies, and we will rule and reign here with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So from where we are now to that point, there is a journey taking place. There is a progression taking place. And your life and my life is part of that. And your faith in Christ, your profession as a Christian must have an impact in this world. And this is exactly what John is talking about. So let's go through this. This is the message, verse 5, which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. That's why Jesus is called the light of the world. The light, the true light that comes into the world. And then Jesus in, John, in Matthew chapter 5 says to his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. Now, how is that, that Jesus is the true light? Is he the light or are we the light? Yes, he is the light and we are the light. Because now if you are in him and he is in you, then that light, that true light who is Christ, dwells in you. And if Christ dwells in you and he is that true light, then that light must shine forth from your life. And what does that look like? And this is what John is saying. He says, listen, guys, this is the message that we've had from, we heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in God is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, with God, and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's a promise. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So when do we sin? Well, the Bible says we're born in sin. Sin is not just something we do. Sin is who we are. We're born in sin and we sin because that's who we are. Remember, it's like my dog. My dog didn't become a dog when he started barking. He started barking because he is a dog. You didn't become a sinner when you started sinning. You sin because you are a sinner. You were born that way. What's the solution? Jesus gave it to us in John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. So I'm born in sin and death. What's the answer? I must be born again. This is the grace of God. This is the work of God. This is the power of God who does this. And if we have been born again, 
then our lives have changed. We have changed radically. We become new creations. So if we are a new creation and we have been radically changed, then that is going to come out of our life. And this is what John is saying here. Chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Let me pause right there and and help you understand that that statement is not a declaration of universal salvation. John is not saying what we may be tempted to think he's saying. Remember, John is a Jew writing to Jews, and he's reminding these Jews, hey, you Jews are not the only ones that salvation has come to. The promise given to our father Abraham was not just for the physical descendants because God told Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations. So this is not a declaration of universal salvation. This is a declaration to Jewish believers in Jesus that salvation is for the whole world, both Jew and Gentile. This is not new. This is the gospel that was proclaimed to the serpent and to Adam and Eve in the garden. When God said to the serpent, I'll put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman, and he, the seed of the woman, will come one day and he will crush your head. That's gospel. That's good news. And who is that seed that will crush the head of the serpent? He is Jesus Christ, the Lord. He's not just the forgiver of your sins. He is the Lord of all. He is the Lord of creation, the Lord of the universe. He rules and reigns over all. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 3, 8 and 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. So you thought the gospel just came when Jesus came at his birth. But Paul says the gospel was preached by God to Abraham when God said to Abraham, and you all the nations shall, shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Not only ours, but also for the whole world. God came to save the world. For God so loved the world, not just the Jews, but every nation, every ethnicity. Rich, poor, young, old, it doesn't matter what nation you're from. It doesn't matter what Ancestry.com says, your DNA says. God sent his son to save the world. By this, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He says, I know him. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him, made complete in him. By this we know that we are in him. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
He also said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There in John 15, 2, this is my commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. If you Abide in Christ, you should walk as Christ walked. If we profess to be in Christ, and we profess that Christ dwells in us, then we should be a people that walk as Christ walked. And this is what Jesus said in John 15, 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus said, if you're my disciples, keep my commandments just as I kept my father's commandments. This is what it means to walk as he walked. Jesus lived his life to please his father. Now, Jesus did it like no one else could because Jesus walked in sinless perfection. You and I are not going to do that. You and I are going to sin before we even get started. And it's not that God is saying you have to be perfect. Because that's not what God is saying. God is saying you have to trust in Jesus because he is perfect and you're not. God is saying you must put your trust in Jesus because he walked and kept the commandments like you cannot. And so your only hope in fulfilling the law and the commandments is to trust in Jesus. But I love the way God simplifies things. I love the way Jesus simplified things for us. Do you know that when Jesus walked the earth, there were over 600 commandments, rules and regulations that the Jews were required to keep? I mean down to dotting the I's and crossing the T's. It was ridiculous. But there were men who took great pride in their ability to cross every T and to dot every I and say... Proudly, I keep the commandments perfectly. And they thought they were righteous because they kept those commandments. And then Jesus comes along, this rabbi who nobody knows where he went to seminary, nobody knew who his personal mentor was, and they kept asking him, hey, by whose authority do you say these things and do these things? Uh, do Do you have a degree? What seminary did you go to? And Jesus said, I, I do what I see my father do, and I say what I hear my father say. I've come to do my father's will. And Jesus, one day when he's preaching on the side of this mountain, says this. Moses says that it is against the law to commit adultery. But I say to you that if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Moses writes that it is against the law to commit murder. But I say to you that if you say in your heart to your brother, you fool, You have murdered your brother and you are guilty of breaking the commandment. And everybody's like, who is this guy? What what hope is there for us to be saved? Because some people mistakenly think that Jesus came and lowered the bar to make it easier for everyone to get in. Other people say Jesus came and raised the bar to make it more difficult. But the reality is Jesus didn't move the bar at all. The bar was always the same. It was never about what we could just outwardly do. The problem, and this is what Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, the problem has always been our ability to, in our hearts and in our minds, be free from sin. 
Because I can wash the outside of the cup and make it look brand new, but, but the inside is still filthy. And I don't have the capacity to clean the inside. I cannot give myself a new heart. Only God can do that. I couldn't even give myself my first heart. God did that too. Surely I can't give myself a new heart. But God can. And with that new heart, God cleans us from the inside out. He washes us clean with his blood. Because he chose to love us. And if God has chosen to love you and he has poured his love in you, what John is saying is that love in you must come out of you. It must translate not just in your confession that you love God, because if you confess to love God, but you are hating your brother, then the love of God is not in you. And you don't have to make a big deal about telling everybody how much you love God if you are able to love your brother and love your neighbor as yourself and love those around you the way Christ has loved. Then it will be understood by all, especially God, that you love him. Verse 7, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. Now, this sounds kind of confusing. I write no new commandment. Then he says again, a new commandment I write to you. But this was very well understood by the Jews who were reading this letter. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Remember when Jesus was asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And the answer Jesus gave was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like unto it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy questioning him said, good job, Jesus. That was the right answer. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. When God gives Israel the law, here's what God says. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Actually, there in that chapter, Leviticus, God says a lot more about loving our neighbor. I just am giving you that one verse because that is the verse that Jesus quotes. This is the old commandment. It's not new. It's old. God, from the beginning, said to his people, Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Verse 8, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. What's interesting in John 13, 34, as Jesus is getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, they've eaten the Passover meal. Jesus knows he's getting ready to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. His disciples are clueless. They really don't understand what's fixing to happen. And as Jesus is there with his disciples, he says this to them, a new commandment I give to you. Now, we don't understand how significant that is, but that's pretty significant because God is giving a new commandment to his people. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It's now not just that you love your neighbor as yourself, but Jesus says, here's how you are to love. Not just love as you love yourself, but now you are to love as I 
have loved you. John 3, 18 through 21, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the, com- the con- condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The darkness is passing away. Verse eight, here's what, here's the complete Verse 8, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world, is Jesus Christ. And then Jesus makes this statement I just read to you out of John 3 about the world being condemned because men loved darkness more than they loved light. But John tells us the darkness is passing because the true light has come and is already shining. Christ is the light and now as you are in Christ, the light is in you. That's why he says, which thing is true in him and in you. And that light is in you to shine, to dispel darkness. Verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We are commanded to love to love God with all our heart, to love our neighbor as ourself. And we cannot say that we are in the light and at the same time hate our neighbor and hate our brother or our sister. If we hate our brother, we are not in the light, but we are in darkness and we are blind. To love in word and in deed is to walk in the light as he is in the light. It is to walk as Jesus walked. It is to have fellowship with one another, knowing that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all of our sins. Now, verses 12 through 14, I'm going to basically skip over this, but I want to point out to you that in 12, in 12 and 13, John says, I write, present tense. I want you to notice that in verse 14, He uses the past tense, I have written. I write and I have written. And he he writes basically the same thing there. He writes basically the same thing to the little children, speaking to all that he's writing to. He writes to the fathers, those mature. He writes to the young men. Basically the same thing. And what he is doing is he is contrasting his gospel with this letter because they have his gospel And he's saying, I'm not giving to you a different message. The message has not changed. 
The light hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. The pressure is coming upon you to change, to compromise, to water down the truth, to not walk in the truth. But I'm telling you, the message has not changed. I write to you today this message that you've heard from the beginning. I have written to you that same message and I'm giving you a consistent word. The difference now is that the word and the commandment is not looking ahead to a time when the true light would come. It is now true in him and it is now true in you because that light has dawned, that light is already shining and the darkness is passing away in the face of the light who is Jesus Christ. And he's saying the prophets spoke of that light to come But he has already come and he is now in you. And you are an active part, an active participant in spreading the light and dispelling the darkness. Now let's look at the last three verses here and 1 John and we're going to close with this. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do not love the world. Do not love the sinful elements of human life and the things and the mindset associated with those things in the world. It is the things of the world that lead us into idolatry and idolatrous affections for the things that are contrary to God and contrary or anti-Christ. If our love is for the world and those things in the world, then the love of the Father is not in us, for we cannot love both. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to serve mammon, this world, and the things of this world, or you're going to serve God, but you can't serve them both. You can't love both. To love God and to love the things of God is to hate the things of the world that are contrary to God and his fullness of life. Now you need to understand the context here. God's not saying hate the earth, hate trees, hate birds. No, (laughs) please understand. The world speaks of those things that are contrary to God, that have fallen under the corruption of sin and are actively working to, to thwart God's plan and purpose. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Here John describes what those things in the world are and how they manifest in the form of lust. That that lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those things are not of the Father, but they are of the world. It was through the lust of that corruption came to this world. If you read Genesis 3, 6, after the enemy, after the serpent talks to Eve and says, doesn't that really look good? You know, God just doesn't want you to have that because he doesn't want you to have the same knowledge. And the Bible says in Genesis 3, 6 that Eve is standing there and she's looking at the fruit and she says in her mind, this is what she's thinking. The Bible tells us exactly what Eve is thinking. It looks delicious, It's beautiful to behold, and it looks as though it would make one wise. It looks delicious, lust of the flesh. Got to have that cookie. Got to have that ice cream. Got to have that fruit, because it looks so delicious. 
It's beautiful to behold the lust of the eyes. It's beautiful. I want it. And it looks as though it would make one wise. Yeah, I need more wisdom. I need that knowledge that God does not want me to have. That was the thought process. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's what brought corruption to this world. It's what, call, <clears throat> it's what caused Eve to disobey God. And we are commanded to no longer fulfill the lust of the flesh. For in Christ we have been set free from the corruption that is in the world through lust. Listen to Galatians 5.16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. James 1, 4, 14 through 15. James says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. Your, your translation may say desire, but it's the same word. King James translates it lust. It's the word lust, translated lust throughout the scripture. We're drawn away when we are enticed by our own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Here's what Peter tells us, 2 Peter 1.4, talking about the promises of God, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we are in Christ, having been born again from above, we are now of and in the Spirit. We are no longer of the world, though we live in the world. If you've been born again, you're no longer of the world, you're now of God. If you haven't been born again, you're still in the world and you are still of the world and in need of being born again. We are in the world, but we're no longer of the world. In Christ, we are now empowered to walk free from the lust of the flesh and the corruption that is in the world through lust. We are free because Christ is victorious over sin and death. Christ has set us free. And if we are in Christ, we are free. Verse 17, and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The world and the lust of the world is passing away. The world inherently speaks of that which is temporary, temporal. That's why it's said to be passing away. It's not lasting. It's not eternal. But God and his word and you and Christ are lasting and you are eternal. He who does the will of God abides forever. The one who trusts in Christ, the one who loves God and loves his neighbor, the one who loves the brethren the way Christ has loved them, the one who loves so much the things of God that he hates the things of the world that lead to lustful idolatry. This is the one who does the will of God. This is the one who abides forever. I pray this is you. And Jesus said this, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. 
in the early church, there was this rift between Jew and Gentile. And there was pressure for the Gentiles to conform to the law. And they wrote a letter from Jerusalem and said, you don't have to conform to the law, abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from those things devoted to idols. Love. Don't forget widows and orphans. And we see now that what distinguished the Jews from the rest of the world, the way they dressed, the way they ate, circumcision, the way they worshipped, what used to distinguish them and still does, we come to the, the inception of the church and the Jewish leaders of the church said, you Gentiles don't have to keep the law, but, but they weren't saying they're there doesn't have to be a distinction between Christians and the world. Now it's not necessarily the way we dress or the food we eat, but it is how we love, and it is what we love, and it is our love for God. It is our love for one another that distinguishes us from the world. It is that love of God and that love for one another that makes us hate the things of the world and the things that are contrary to God, the things that are anti-Christ. Even though the world is putting pressure on us to compromise and to, to say, oh, you know, it's not that bad. Everybody else believes that. Everybody else has accepted that. Surely you Christians must accept this too. Now the question is, do you love the praise of man and the accolades of man or do you love God? And are you devoted to God? And are you devoted to his word? And do you love him so much that you are willing to hate the things of the world even in the face of intense pressure or possibly persecution? It is love, and this is what John is saying. It is the way you love God. It is the way you love one another. It is the way you walk in this world in love that distinguishes you now. It's not just the day of the week you worship or don't worship. It's not the clothes you wear or don't wear. It's not the food you eat or don't eat. It's not the festivals you keep or don't keep. It is love. Love God. Love one another. And hate the things of the world that draw you to idolatry. Let's get ready and we're going to come to the table. So each week, we come to this table. You don't have to be a member of Christ Fellowship Church to come to take the bread and to take the cup. If you are a member of the body of Christ, if you trust in Jesus, you're invited to this table. This table is a call to love to love God, to love one another. We're called to come in love. And coming to this table affirms His love for you, His love for the brethren, for all of us, but it also affirms your love for one another. And this is what Paul meant when he writes to the, to the Corinthians, discern the body. He's not saying discern the bread and the cup. He's saying discern those people around you who are the body of Christ, rich and poor, young and old. Discern the body because God loves everyone, Jew and Gentile, 
and everything in between. So church, I invite you to come to the table. Well, you're charged today. Really, I can't give you any greater charge than what the scripture has already charged you to do. But I do want to encourage you to be people of courage. To be people who have hope, even in the face of things that are happening in our world that, that would seem to make us feel hopeless sometimes. We are never, ever, ever without hope. Our hope is not in this world. It's not of this world. Our hope is in Christ. He is our hope. I charge you to confess your sin so that you would be forgiven. I charge you to keep His commandments. If you say you know Him and you abide in Him, then Jesus said we are to keep His commandments. To keep His Word and to walk as He walked. I charge you to keep both old and new, for they are the same. It is the commandment to love your neighbor and to love your brother and your sister. For by loving one another, by walking in love and light, you prove that you love God and that love for God is true. I charge you to love God and hate the world with all of its sin and idolatry. You are not to fall prey to the lust that controls the world and all those that are of it. You are to love God in those things that are of God. I want to encourage you that the darkness and this world is passing away. We are to take courage and have hope and know that God has promised those who do his will abide forever. The promise God gives to you is eternal in the midst of a world that is passing. Take courage, have faith, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And as you do so, you will love one another as Christ has loved you. And so you will fulfill his commandment. This is what God has called us to. This is what God commands us not just to do. This is who he commands us to be for his glory. Amen.